morning. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. It's good to see you guys this morning. Thanks for coming out in the rain. You didn't melt. We, uh, I'm, uh, I'm already sweating, so I don't know if that's good or bad or what, but I have a feeling there's just going to be a whole lot of that today, so that's okay. Some days it just is that way. So, man, uh, this, uh, I got to tell you, this, this, this study on David in general, uh, in, in some ways is kicking my tail, uh, in, in good ways. You know, just, you know, uh, you know how scripture is. Sometimes it's, it's like it's so good for you, and then sometimes, sometimes it's just kind of kicking your tail along the way because it's, you know, it's what you need to hear. Sometimes it's kicking your tail along the way because uh, it's a lot to comprehend. And, uh, and, and last last several weeks, I, I feel like if, uh, I feel like we've had some amazing Sunday mornings together in God's Word, and at the same time, uh, it's it's been man, it's been like work, work, you know, for me uh, on my end, and uh, not that it's about that or anything, but uh, I just say that to say, man, this one in particular today, man, it's we're covering a lot of ground. Uh, the story of David is so intricate with so many things going on, and uh, and and this this week is no different in that. Um, and uh, we, we are technically going to cover uh, some serious ground this morning as I kind of uh, condense some of the story of what's going on because I want you to know what's going on, but I want to go ahead and get into the passage uh, that we're, uh, that we're uh, seeking together. And so uh, I, hope, I hope it's good for you. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Uh, we're going to Second Samuel, uh, and uh, we'll be in chapter 13, 15, somewhere in there. Uh, but uh, second, second Samuel is where we're going. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, and they would be glad to get you Bibles. Just throw your hand up and uh, let them know that you need one, and uh, be sure uh, that you get one. Um, but this passage uh, that we're going to study today, we're, I want to I let you know about some of the things that are happening before that passage. Uh, before uh, the passage that we're studying together, uh, we're, we're getting to a part here where uh, this, this whole story of David has gotten, has gotten pretty complex, and partly because uh, he's got a bunch of kids, and I can relate to that. Uh, but the whole, like, David and his kids thing, his kids get to act in a fool, uh, and that's kind of where, you know, we end up today, uh, is, is kind of studying through some parts of that. And, and so as I've been encouraging you to do in weeks past, one of the things that I might encourage you to do, uh, you know, with even with these uh, passages that we're studying and that we're uh, going to kind of hit some highlights of or whatever, I'm encouraging you to go back and read uh, the full pieces of this when you get some time today, sometime this week, whatever works for you, uh, so that you can catch the full picture. Uh, and, and so we left off at, verse, it's, I'm sorry, at uh, chapter 12 last week, and uh, you know we kind of finished up this, this whole David and Bathsheba thing, and uh, two weeks ago we talked about David and Bathsheba specifically, and then this past week we talked about... Uh, David and uh, uh, his like overcoming, you know, what had happened between him uh, and Bathsheba, and, and what that looks like. My boy B on the mic. Y'all give B a hand for bringing the mic. Come on. <laughs> I know they've been working on that thing, but uh, they don't have it whipped yet. I guess so. Um, so uh, yeah, so David and Bathsheba. 
uh, one of the things that we, we realized about David and Bathsheba, you know, in, in the whole aftermath of that is like, you know, once, you've, once you have made such a mistake like that, uh, you know, even though God brings forgiveness, there are consequences to our sin, and sin causes destruction. Uh, sin destroys, and that's, why, that's exactly why God tries to uh, lead us away from sin and tries to protect us from sin. Uh, and, I, you know, and I made the mention of, you know, it's not, uh, it's not some game for God to try to keep us from doing fun stuff or something, you know. Uh, it's that he recognizes the things that would hurt us, the things that would destroy us. And so David had a whole lot of stuff that he had to go through in the aftermath of, uh, you know, dealing with the fact that he had committed such, you know, horrible things and all this stuff. Uh, he slept with Bathsheba, he killed, killed her husband, I mean, just all, I mean, just tons of stuff. And it's like, you know, pile on, pile on, you know, cover one sin to cover the next sin and, you know, so on and so forth. And then, um, you know, what we're going to see, and, and I'm, we're not going to spend much time studying on it, uh, but I want to give you the backstory to it. If you go to verse, uh, if you go to chapter 13, what you're really seeing is you're seeing a continuation of David uh, continuing to have to deal with and, and his family being affected by the sin that he committed. And that sin is, is permeating and causing cause and effect things to happen within the lives now of his children. His children, their, their moral co code is all jacked up. You know, I mean, I think that we understand and, and know, you know just how important it is for us to follow the Lord. But when, when we start to pick and choose what we follow the Lord in, and our moral compass becomes just kind of like this, whatever feels right to us and not what Scripture says, and that's a dangerous place, then we end up in a dangerous place. And that's exactly where David and his kids are. And his kids are just jacked out the roof with, like, jacked upness, okay? And, and so we're going we're gonna to study a little bit of that. I want to I just kind of give you a little backstory. I'm just, I'm not, and I'll, and I'll just tell you, chapter 13, I, I studied through it, prayed through it several times this week. Wow, uh, heavy, heavy, not, and I'll be honest, I, I, it's been a long time since I've studied through Scripture, and it'd just be hard to stomach the story itself of what's going on, but that's one of those stories, like David and Bathsheba's rough, uh, chapter 13 is really rough, okay, and I'm, I, I'm almost saying that like a warning, okay, if you're, when you get ready to study it this week or whatever and check it out. Uh, so David's kids start kind of acting a fool, and, 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 and David's not dealing with it well. And here's, and here's where it starts off. You've got two of his sons. Not, these are not his only sons because, again, he's got several kids. Uh, but he's got uh, a son named Absalom and a son named Amnon. Okay, And these two, these two sons, they're, they're cool with each other. But Amnon takes a liking to Tamar, who is their sister. Okay, and without just being graphic or anything at all here with the passage, and you can go check it out for yourself or whatever, Amnon ends up raping his sister. Okay, then, then Absalom, the other brother that I just brought up, he of course like just loses his mind toward Amnon. He's he's like I you know. I can't stand for this, and, and, and there's, there's quite a bit of Scripture to get through everything that I'm, that I'm sharing here to, to kind of get where we're going. Uh, but basically, over some time, and pretending like he's cool with his brother, as like other people are kind of trying to pretend, 
you know, the same or whatever. Uh, basically, he kills Amnon. And so you've got the rape. You've got another murder now within the family, okay? And, and so then Absalom, after he kills his brother, takes off, flees, just gets lost, just run, runs away, you know, into hiding. Yeah, he's afraid of what his, his dad's going to do because now he's killed his brother, you know. And basically his dad, you know, really hadn't stepped up to the plate and done what he should have done because, again, his dad, I think, honestly, at this point is like so jacked up from his own moral compass kind of being a little off. We're talking about David here and not saying that David's not trying to follow the Lord or anything, but he's just, he's just you know, in this, you know, these types of situations are so crazy a lot of times you don't know what to do, and, and he just he couldn't see what he needed to do and instead just kind of didn't do anything. Absalom takes it into his own hands. He kills his brother, and after two years of coming... So, okay, back up just a little bit. So he comes, eventually he comes back to Jerusalem. David sends for Absalom to come back to Jerusalem, okay? And there's, and there's some kind of coercing going on from Joab. Joab's kind of like behind the scenes, and like constantly trying to manipulate a little bit with, with David. And, and we see that, and you can go check it out for yourself. But anyway, Joab kind of, he, he uses this lady to come tell David a lie and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of similar to what we saw in the week before uh, with this whole persuading David through a false story kind of stuff. And so he gets David to bring Absalom back to Jerusalem, but at the same time, David doesn't want Absalom to be in his presence. So Absalom is allowed to go and stay in his own house, not the king's house, not with the family, and this goes on for two years. And so for two years, Absalom is, is you know, like hanging out by himself, and eventually he's like sending messages, smoke signals, whatever, literally turns into smoke signals because, uh, you know, he's like trying to get in touch with Joab, trying to contact Joab to like go talk to his dad and say, hey, see if you can get me to come back home. And David, uh, uh, Absalom ends up actually setting Joab's field on fire just to get Joab to like come to where he is and talk to him and be like, dude, talk to my dad. Let's get this done. Like, if I need to die for what I've done, then let's let that be. If, if not, and you know, we can move forward, then let's move forward. And so Absalom comes, um, ends up coming. David sends for him, says to come. And in the end, uh, David ends up giving him a kiss. And this kiss signifies, you know, you've been restored into the family. But the, the truth is, is that he's not really restored into the family, and they don't really deal with what has happened. And so now you, you've had like one sin that is now caused another sin, and you know, so on and so forth, if you want to look at it that way. And, and, and we got a mess. And we've got a son who's basically kind of rogue at this point, and now he's back in the house, now he's in his dad's graces, but he's not really. And, and he's not cool with his dad, even though his dad has let him come back to Jerusalem, and even though his dad has let him come back to the house, he's still not really cool. And so that's where we're picking up today. And we're picking up there today, and, and listen, just again, crazy, crazy stuff to get to here. But once we get to here, I want you to see some things in what God does in David's life in the moment, in the middle of a crazy situation. I want us to read together 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. 
And in verse 1, we see what we have listed even here in the Scriptures as Absalom's conspiracy. I prefer to call it Abe's man- manipulation, if you will. Uh, but, but chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. It says, After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to, used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is such and such tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So I want you to kind of get the full picture of what's really happening here. So because he and dad just really aren't cool, Absalom is, is kind of basically putting together a plan to come behind his dad, and he's working on a takeover. You, you see that, right? Like he's standing by the gate at this point. Anybody that, that's got any sort of issue, he's standing there at the gate to be sure to greet them, give them a kiss, love on them. Oh, I'm so sorry. The king doesn't have anybody to listen to you, but if I was the king, I would listen to you. That's what he's doing. And, and by the way, not completely true. You know, it wasn't like David wasn't listening to anybody. But in this passage, we see, we see Absalom doing this thing where it's obvious that he's not supposed to be doing this, and it's obvious that he's working toward a setup. Four years of this, by the way. He does this for four years, okay? So four years of this, and he eventually says... He lies to his dad, goes to his dad one day, goes to David one day, Absalom goes to, goes to David, and he says, Dad, King, David, whatever, you know, hey, the Lord is leading me to go back and keep a promise for something that I promised him I would do. And, of course, David's like, oh, okay, you need to, if you need to go keep a promise, then go keep a promise. So he gives, he gives him his blessing and says, hey, you go and, and keep that promise. And then so we pick up in verse 10 of chapter 15 right here. 2 Samuel 15, 10. And in verse 10 it says, But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is, our, is king at Hebron. With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. So Absalom, you know, again, you remember what he's been doing. He's like winning everybody over, right? You remember, you remember what I think it was verse 6 that, that says, uh, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So, I mean, like he's, he's now, you know, for four years he's been building these relationships, and now he's like, hey, guys, uh, we, we're going to go together and we're going to do this thing together. And he kind of he doesn't tell them what they're doing. 
But, but you know, he, he kind of knows at this point, like all these people that might be good followers for him, be good supporters of him because of the relationships he's been building, right? And, and so then we have this moment where Absalom invites them all, and it says 200 men went from Jerusalem who were invited guests, verse 11, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. They didn't know. They didn't know that this is a setup. They didn't know that he's you know, getting this conspiracy going. And so then at the same time, he's got some other people that are supposed to at a certain time, at the right time, you know, call out and, and basically lie that, that Absalom is the king at Hebron you know, and all this stuff, I mean, it's all a setup. In verse 12, it says, And while Absalom was offering, sac- offering the sacrifices, he sent for uh, Athiphel, the Gilanite, and this is David's counselor, and it says David's counselor, uh, from his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So at this point, Absalom is, is going after specific people, and this fellow that he goes after who is David's counselor, this is, this is an, a pretty important piece here uh, in, in the story of what's going on because uh, Ephithel, uh, this guy, uh, is like, he's like the genius guy. He's the guy that everybody needs on their team. He's the answer guy. He's the, he's the when you're sitting in a seat and you get one call for the one question, to answer the question and get the million dollars, he's the guy that you're going to call because he's considered like the most wise guy possible, you know. And so this whole deal of like, you know, David having this guy, well, now Absalom has stolen this guy away from David. And this is a big deal. And this all starts coming to a head. I mean, like, this, this starts getting serious. And you might, because you, I know you're probably thinking, well, you know, big deal. You know, his kid's getting a little out of control and he's got him a little posse going or whatever. No, no, no. This is turning into a legitimate thing. And Absalom has spent, you've got to remember, he spent four years lying to people and hugging on people and kissing babies and kissing men and, you know, everything else that he could possibly do to try to get these people to follow him and be on his side and listen to him. So when the day came that he's ready to say, hey, you know, if, if, you know, maybe I should be the king or you know, get people to lie about the fact that he is the king, that they would believe him. And they go, oh yeah, this is the guy that we need. This is the king that we've been looking for. Your dad, he's made some, he's made some terrible judgment calls. And even, and even for the people that you know, know you know, the, the things that he's done wrong in his life, for them, they're, I mean, he's probably selling that up, you know, uh, up the road as, you know, well, hey, well, I, I did right by, you know, what my brother deserved when my dad would not, you know, kind of thing. And so David runs. David sees what's happening, and he realizes if we're not careful, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed, and I need to get out of town. And so, verse 31, we see the culmination of after the fact of David running. He's on the run, and he's with a whole bunch of his people that he's brought, and he's left some behind, and uh, whatnot, and all this stuff. And then we have verse 31, and it says in verse 31, And it was told to David, Ephithel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ephithel into foolishness. O oh Lord. O oh Lord. 
You know, I think in crazy moments of our lives, sometimes we're guilty of not doing the thing that we need to do the most. Pray. I mean, think about it. In the craziest moments of our lives, you know, what, what do we do? We, we, we call our cousin Jimmy or something, like, oh, Jimmy, what do I need to do over here? And Jimmy's like, oh, I don't know, buddy. I don't know what to tell you, you know, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. You know, we, we, we pick up the phone, we, call, we phone a friend, we do, you know, all this other stuff, and, we, <laughs> and we'll worry, and we'll stew, and we'll check the bank account five times like it's going to change, or check the refrigerator like it's going to change, or, you know, whatever it's going to be. And at the end of the day, what do we need to do the most? We need to seek the Lord. And here, in this passage, David, in the middle of everything going on, he prays a simple prayer. And he prays, oh Lord, please turn the counsel of of Fithel uh, into foolishness. By the way, I know I'm not pronouncing his name right. I have heard my computer pronounce it 50,000 times. I'll never pronounce that name right. It's okay. We'll call him Alfie. And David said, oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Alfie into foolishness. Right? And such a, such a, such a seen prayer for David to pray in that moment. I mean, how, how big of a deal is it for us to, to just see that David understood something in that moment that, that, I mean, when we would be so, you know, flustered by what's going on, and, he, and then the moment that he finds out that he has been taken from him, that he's now gone to be with his son and is a conspirator against him now, he says, Lord, Intervene in that situation. Make his wisdom foolishness. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to ask. He wants us to seek. He wants us to listen. And and I got to tell you that it is one of the greatest gifts of our faith. Prayer. And and not only is it one of the greatest gifts of our faith, it's one of the most healing things we have in this life. It is amazing how much I personally can worry about something, stew over it, till I'm blue in the face and think that the world is crashing down. And all of a sudden, somewhere in there, all of a sudden I'm like, you know, know, I'm going to read some Scripture, I'm going to pray. You know, and all of a sudden, I'm reminded, oh... You're in charge, not me, not my circumstances, not the things and the people around me. You are in charge. And I confess to you today, I've I've done that this week through tears. And it's been amazing in those moments when I'm reminded of who God is and how He works and how he works oftentimes, we couldn't possibly guess what's going to happen. And David couldn't have guessed what was going to happen. And what was going to happen was, was God was going to begin to answer this question right away. Because if you look right after verse 31, we have verse 32. And in verse 32, it says this. It says, while David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head David said to him if you go with me you will be a burden to me 
This guy's a servant of David, and he's coming to David in this moment. I mean, just happens to be in this, just happens to be in this moment, right? You know, he comes to David in this moment, and, and he's basically like throwing himself to David. Is like, I'm your servant. I'm with you. I will go where you go. And David looks at me. He's like, if you go with me, you will be a burden. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if I'm that guy, I'm like, well, gee, thanks. You know, like I thought we, you know, I thought we were tight. And David keeps going. Verse 34, it says, But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Abe. So David... David's no dummy. David, you got to remember, is a great warrior. And he has won battles far and wide. And he knows it's not just done with soldiers. And he realizes what Absalom has been doing. He's like, okay, we gotta, we got to do a little fighting fire with fire here. And i got to send somebody back over there to intervene. And so he sends his old buddy, Hushai the archite, and he goes. He goes. And there comes a moment, and we're skipping ahead here, 1 Samuel 16, okay? Chapter 16. I told you we're skipping around. There's a whole lot of in-between stuff. Please go back and catch up on it. would love for you to get it all. 2 Samuel 16, verse 23, and it says this, and this is a huge statement. That's the reason, reason why I want to share this is because I want you to see how important this is. It says, Now in those days, the council of Ephithel, Abe, gave was as if one consulted the Word of God. So was all the council of Ephithel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. So at this point, we, for us to understand the gravity, the weightiness of, of this guy's opinion about things is huge for us because both David and now Absalom both consider the things that he, say, he says to be basically like that of the Word of God. Like his, his, his advice is so good, it might as well be God's Word. I, I don't know. I don't know that we see this statement, I don't think we do, about anyone else anywhere in Scripture. Like, that, that's a crazy statement to make, right? And then, we have the moment. It happens. And it begins happening at the end of chapter 16. I'm going to let you read all that for yourself later. Uh, but then, uh, continues into chapter 17. And in chapter 17, we have this continuation of basically Absalom looking for advice from his old buddy Abe, who was his dad's counselor, and now in, in coming to the story at the beginning of chapter 17 is Hushai the archite who David sent to him to say to him, hey, I'll be your buddy, I'll be your servant, I'm here for you. And, and in that moment, after he gets the advice from Abe, he turns around and, 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 it's, and the Scripture even says that he and the elders felt like that, that uh, 
uh, that Abe's advice was great advice and that they should take it. But for some reason, some reason, he turns around and is like, what about, I wonder what Hushai, the archite, would say about this. And Hushai gets his moment and he steps to the plate. And then we have chapter 17, verse 14. And it says, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Aphithel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Aphithel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Wow. How many times in our lives does God have to prove that He hears us, that He answers our prayers for us to stop doubting, for us to kick worrying to the curb, for us to not be anxious about anything? How many times has God ordained things before us to take care of us, to provide for us, to protect us from ourselves and from this world. What's God already ordained to happen in front of you that you're worried about right now? What are you worried about right now? Don't you know that God has already orchestrated what's going to happen? Don't you know that He's in charge? Don't you know that we can trust in that today? And how great that is. How unbelievable that is. He knows our needs. He answers our prayers. Even, even oftentimes better than you and I can pray them. Ephesians 3.20 proves this. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or even think. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, God, that He is willing to go before us and do what we can't even comprehend that we need done. And I, and I think for us today, I think the challenge for us is is literally just trusting with the little things, with the big things. I've seen some big things this week. I've seen some people dealing with big things and little things. I've gotten to deal with some big things and little things. I mean, isn't it so easy to fall into that? I know it is for me. To fall right into that worry, to fall right into that, you know, how am I going to fix this? How, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? You know, kind of mentality. but look at what God has done for you in the past. And He's gotten you here today. You've been through all that? You think you did it alone? No. He's brought you through it. Look at His grace. Look at how much He loves you. David Mathis says it 
like this. And I want to read this quote. It says, In the Gospel, our God has already answered better than we could have asked. Christ came. He died. He rose. And though we often don't know precisely how to pray, we do know that our Father loves to hear our requests and outdo them. That's what a father does. A father outdoes the requests of a, of a child that they love. Maybe you, maybe you don't know that. Maybe you didn't have a dad that did that. My dad has done that for me. I can't tell you how much in my life. He's outdone the requests of when I've needed a little help or whatever. I mean, just because he loves me, he cares for me. God also has done that for me. We as dads are guilty of that. We want our children to have great things, don't we? And Christmas time is one of those times when I think dads show that sometimes, where it's like, you know, mom, you know, got some stuff together, and then dad's like, I'm going to go to the store and get a few more things, you know? And then mom's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? We did not need that in our life, you know? That's what God wants to do for us. He wants to outdo our requests. He wants to take care of, care of us. His grace is so good to us. His love is so good to us. But I'll say this. Sin is never trivi trivial and grace is never cheap. Sin is never trivial. And grace is never cheap. We can't guess the ending to these things. We don't know how He's going to work it all out. But we know that He is. And we can trust in Him and ask for what we need in prayer. David found himself in a moment of desperate prayer. Maybe today, you too are in a moment where you should too seek the Lord in desperate prayer. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to give us just a, a few moments here. And, and first of all, I want to say this. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, let God speak to your heart about that today. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He wants to do a work in your life, give you new life, give you purpose. He has a plan for you. <laughs> give in. Run to Him today, okay? would love to talk, pray with you about that. You could pray even here in just a moment as we do this. And I, I want to I share just some verses that I'm going to read over you. And I want to share them with us as we enter into just a moment of prayer together. Romans 8.26 says this. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who, who knocks, it will be opened. James 1, 5 if any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Psalm 91, from the hand of David, as the Lord spoke through him. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Would you just bow your head with me for a moment? I want you just to take a moment here, and I want you... I just want to encourage you, just give you a second here to just pray on your own. Maybe there's something big in your life today that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus. Something that you just, you, you, if you're just real honest, would be the desperate prayer for you today. The thing that you have begun to believe that God can't do, might you call to Him right now and ask Him to do it? God, we ask you to do the impossible. We ask you to intervene. We ask you to do what we can't do. We ask you to change hearts. We ask you to provide. We ask you to make a way. God, we ask that you would do all these things, Lord, for your glory. Lord, that people would see what you've done in our lives and that they would see that you're real and that they would want you God we don't want you to be our fixer Lord we want you to be our savior and God we come to you today just recognizing and acknowledging Lord that you have power over all things and God I pray that you would do the unimaginable things that Lord only you can do for you and for your kingdom for your church God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for an empty tomb. Lord God, be glorified in us. Lord, save that person today who hasn't trusted in you to be your Savior. Lord, we love you. Thank you. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.